How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Today, we will focus on an exciting new product from Non and Medical called the Copilot. This is a multi-parameter oximetry device that is compact, wireless, and checks pulse oximetry, carboxyhemoglobin, pulse rate, and met hemoglobin. My guest today from Non and Medical is Mr. Tom Kostler. Tom has been with Non and for over 11 years and has been intimately involved in the development of this product. Tom, welcome to EMS World Podcasts. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate you having me on. Of course. So, Tom, I have affectionately referred to this product as the Swiss Army knife or the modern-day leatherman of pre-hospital diagnostic tools. So, tell me, how did the Copilot come to be? The Copilot is is really a culmination of a lot of different things coming together. Uh, we've spent many years going to EMS shows and developed quite a reputation for our pulse oximetry. Uh, reliability. Uh, our founder and owner, Bill Isaacson, has patents for the first fingertip oximeter and developed the first handheld oximeter that went well into EMS. Customers kept asking, how can they get that reliability in carbon monoxide? Um, they were not currently finding that available. And so it began uh, uh, non in looking into what we could do to develop a more accurate and reliable carbon monoxide uh, monitoring technology. The other thing that happened in conjunction with that is we developed a technology called cerebral oximetry or regional saturation of oxygen that looks at brain tissue saturation. And over the last 10 years in that product, uh, there has been a continued interest in how that might be used in cardiac resuscitation. And so as we put this device together, uh, our technology, we were able to put all those technologies into one portable device and create the co-pilot, which we believe has utility across the EMS marketplace. Yeah, absolutely. And you you mentioned RSO2, and uh, I think it's a really important gauge and measurement, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. Now we are existing in this COVID-19 environment. And so the question I have for you is how do you expect the co-pilot is going to be useful in the assessment and monitoring of COVID-19 patients by the first responder community? Yeah, so the the use of pulse oximetry has escalated with, with COVID-19. Um, we know that there's this phenomena or this status going on that we call silent hypoxia or the happy hypoxic that is coming out. The way to detect that non-invasively is through pulse oximetry. So Copilot incorporates uh, Nanan's uh, industry leading pulse oximetry technology, but it also allows us to um, help with differential diagnosis in that patients with Copilot or with COVID present flu-like symptoms. Patients with carbon monoxide poisoning can present with flu-like symptoms. Being able on the same device to be able to get 
accurate pulse oximetry readings, and then also rule out carbon monoxide poisoning as a possible source of those flu-like symptoms may allow uh, responders to more appropriately diagnose COVID for those patients that are previously unknown. So it's really interesting, right? Because you say a lot of things in there, and I think it's important to point these things out. Obviously, COVID is everything right now, and we're looking at the best ways to potentially combat this. And you know, with this multi-parameter approach, I think it's important because you mentioned differential diagnosis. And as a pre-hospital provider, as a paramedic, I can tell you that that's something so important. It's a checklist that we go down so that we know that we're going down the right pathway to administer the appropriate treatment. And so, like you say, with this, with the SpO2, with, first of all, getting a, an appropriate SpO2 reading is always an important thing. And I know that that is one of the, the high points of this product. But also being able to get a CO reading is going to allow us even better to approach this patient and to understand what's going on. So I think the differential diagnosis piece is a huge piece of this that you mentioned and and certainly should be realized by the provider and the potential buyer. Yes. And I think the other piece that I did not touch on that is this is available in one device for both adults and pediatrics. So for the responder, it doesn't require a lot of sensor changes or things to get that. It is one sense that allows all of that information for both adults and children. Really, uh, that's really cool. I mean, that's something totally different that, you know, I'll be honest, we're not always used to. Um, you know, we have to switch over to PEDS if we're dealing with that. This this is really, it seems like it's been well thought out. And, you know, I guess that that certainly is a question. I mean, was there a lot of input that went into this from the responder community? I mean, how did you have your ear to the rail so much as to know that these were the needs and the wants? Yeah, there was a lot of question and uh, and answer sessions going on, not only through some of the trade shows and through customer feedback in that forum, but we also have our representatives and distribution partners that were continuing to provide feedback on these products And then as we got uh, further into this project, feedback from providers, um, individuals that are part of the Eagles and and various other EMS agencies provided a lot of information on what they would like in a device, what they would need in a device to consider it, putting it in their in their bag. Sure. That research and development, um, you know, portion of this is, is so important because, again, it's really getting into what the responder wants. And at the end of the day, that's really what counts. We're so specific as to how we operate and very type A and the way we do things. And and that's so important. And I think that uh, Nana did a great job on that. So kudos to you guys. Keeping with the COVID-19 forum, I'm curious, the, the pulse oximetry again has been available for first responders for, you know, 30 some odd years. Taking patient SpO2 is r- routine. That's something that we do all the time. Is COVID-19 changing the way you think first responders perceive the value of this parameter? Well, I, what we're hearing is, is that responders are coming across patients that seem to be in a more normal state. They may not be completely short of breath. They may not be exhibiting a lot of other symptoms other than maybe some flu-like symptoms. And we cannot read into that. What's interesting is typically first responders don't go out to a whole lot of healthy patients. So being able to have a device that has accuracy claims for patients with poor or low perfusion, 
accuracy claims in motion that if they need to transport this patient, uh, they've determined they need to transport, that they can continue to rely on that technology. So I believe this really will help them in being able to trust a device uh, and the readings that they're getting on that device to make the proper evaluation of what the next steps for that uh, patient should be. It's important, right? Because I know that, you know, so many times when we're trying to get an SpO2 reading, there's so there's so many instances where we're saying, oh, we're not getting a reading, right? And we're, we're getting a bad reading or we don't trust that reading. And that's why it's so important to have some sort of belief and trust in, in the product. And so the question I have is, is this affected by extreme temps? Um, you know, how does it, re- how is this sensor different than the others? Yeah, so this, we have done some uh, initial testing. Um, We're a Minneapolis-based company, and we were able to do fire rehab, um, carbon monoxide testing in cold temperatures um, and still get readings because of, you know, the the concern becomes is as perfusion might uh, reduce in the the extremities in the cold, that that could be an issue. But we we do have, like I said, claims in, in low perfusion. Uh, that should help with this device uh, as well. Um, the other technologies we continue to move on is that we will, if we choose to use this as a cerebral oximetry device, we can get status indications without being pulse dependent by using the forehead sensor for cerebral oximetry. Excellent. So moving away from the SpO2, what other parameters measured by the sensor and, and what are they and what, what type of involvement do they have in this type of routine, you know, on, on the everyday spot checking? So as you said earlier in the call, um, this technology, the, the co-pilot device is capable off of one sensor to read carbon monoxide, methemoglobin, heart rate, and pulse oximetry. If you replace that sensor with a cerebral oximetry sensor, the device automatically adjusts and will read cerebral oximetry. So essentially, you would get a, a, almost an upgraded sensor that would read all of the parameters, that would take into account all the parameters. Mike, that, that's a great question. Um, actually, what the device is set up for is that you it comes with a multi-parameter sensor that allows you to measure heart rate. SpO2, carbon monoxide, and met hemoglobin. If you would like to use cerebral oximetry or access that feature, you replace that four-parameter sensor with a variety of RSO2 sensors that we offer, and the device will automatically switch into cerebral or RSO2 mode. Sure. So tell me a little bit, Tom, about Nanan's improvements in you know, CO measurement and, and what makes them significantly better than some of these other products that are out there? So the most common complaint we heard from customers, and really comes a lot to fire rehab, was that there's a, a significant desire to monitor firefighters in rehab and make sure that they have not exposed themselves to carbon monoxide to a dangerous level. And unfortunately, the existing technology out there did or does produce what we refer to as false positives. And it, re, it, it ended up sending more firefighters away from the scene to hospitals to get further analysis to make sure that they were okay or that they had either been exposed or not been exposed to carbon monoxide. That 
that false positive rate allowed some people or some of the responders to be concerned about its reliability. Obviously, when you're at scene, uh, personnel and manpower is of concern and you would hate to lose manpower unnecessarily. And so being able to create a more accurate device, that more accurate indication for patients that may be at an unacceptable level of, of 10% or greater of CO is what our technology was was built around to be more accurate at doing. Yeah, because I look at this and I say that this would be ideal um, on a fire scene, in a fire rehab um, you know, component. Because when you're in an EMS role and you are trying to rehab firefighters at a major incident, you know, we always fall into the same issue of those firefighters want to go back. They do not want to be pulled out of service. So we have to make sure that the device that we're using is going to be accurate because if we start providing inaccurate results or, or giving inaccurate readings, we're going to lose the, the trust and the faith of the fire department. So again, to that end, I think that that's huge to, to make sure that we have the most accurate results with the product that's you know being utilized. Exactly. And that's what, that's what Nanan wanted to achieve with the carbon monoxide. And quite honestly, it took a longer time than we anticipated to develop the technology to that level. But we're now at the point we have, we have that FDA approval, which is great. That's awesome. So I want to switch gears now because, again, I, I, we had spoken about cerebral oximetry, and I think it's a really, really cool thing offered on this device. So maybe you could talk to me a little bit about this new parameter for EMS and how it can be used and, and how it's different than end-tidal CO2. Well, cerebral oximetry provides a near real-time look at cerebral tissue oxygen. And so what is done is we place a sensor on the forehead using near-infrared light as well, and we are able to detect the oxygen level at the frontal cortex of the brain. What's important about that is we've been using this technology for about 11 years in the operating room, and there's been other forms of that technology prior to that. It allows us during open-heart surgery to make sure that a perfusionist or the person who runs a heart-lung machine is getting enough oxygen to the brain while the surgeon is working on the heart. They've used it in carotid surgeries where it uh, they're actually stopping the flow, some of the blood flow to the brain to make sure that they're not putting the brain at risk of having a hypoxic stroke. And so using this in EMS, one of the biggest concerns is how do we evaluate a patient in an unwitnessed or witnessed arrest? How do we know or do we know that that patient is going to come back? Or are, is there information that we can help us um, understand if this person has a chance of returning to spontaneous circulation? So RSO2 became a, a way or a window to look into that. It's non-pulse dependent so that on a fully arrested patient, you can still get a reading. You would be able to get a reading, albeit maybe low, if a person has been down for quite some time, because we could still put that sensor on the head and it would allow us to get an initial status of what type of patient we're st starting with, especially in an unwitnessed arrest. Some of the early data shows that there uh, may be changes prior to rearrest in cerebral oximetry. But some of the early data also shows that 
at levels, if we drop down into the 30s, it can give us an indication of whether or not that person may be able to return to spontaneous circulation and or have neurologic um, deficits in that. And so the other key piece is, is it's a real-time indicator of how well our CPR is doing. Um, Dr. Lurie and his group has shown that looking at RSO2 or cerebral oximetry during CPR is an indicator of how well we're perfusing the brain and whether or not our CPR, either mechanical or um, through, a pers- um, uh, through a person, uh, can can affect positive uh, cerebral saturations. It may also indicate if you have rescuer fatigue in CPR. We know that's not easy to do CPR for a long period of time. Well, uh, a reduction in cerebral uh, saturation may indicate that they're no longer effectively being able to compress the chest. And I think that that this that's why this was so intriguing to me is that I think that it, it provides some insight that the EMS provider didn't necessarily have beforehand. So when a medic or an EMT responds to a cardiac arrest, and again, as you say, whether it's witnessed or unwitnessed, a lot of times we just don't know what we're dealing with. So if you have the ability to gauge and to measure cerebral oximetry, it's not going to drive how hard we work on that patient, but it's at least going to give us an idea of where we stand at getting Ross for that patient. So I think that that's what it's so interesting for me. And then you even brought up the point of rescuer fatigue, which is a huge thing right now um, in the EMS environment. How effectively are we compressing the chest? And that's just another gauge that this provides. So again, you know, I, I had said that that was really exciting to me to read about. And I think that it, it holds so many important gauges for us as providers and, and shows just how effective we're doing our work. So I think that's a really neat part of this product. Yeah, it's very exciting to be able to put a product out in the marketplace that not only ha- helps, has the potential to help the community and those uh, patients that EMS may respond to, but it has that dual role of being able to help or help monitor the rescuers themselves in the case of firefighters during firefighter rehab. So I look at this product and I say, wow, this really is kind of like a co-pilot. Yeah, it it really becomes that, that secondary information source. Obviously, trained responders have experience and a lot of other parameters to look at. This isn't the end-all be-all, but this is a a device that is small, portable, uh, can easily take up or be reduced the size of all the different devices they need to have in in a bag to give them a really good look at how the, what the patient status is in terms of pulse oximetry, carbon monoxide, and cerebral saturation. Really interesting stuff, Tom. Where can um, folks go to learn just a little bit more about the Copilot? I know we touched upon a lot today in the podcast, but if people want to learn a little bit more about the product, where can they go? Yep. So they can always go to the Nanan website um, and they can visit nanan.com or www.nanan.com forward slash co hyphen pilot, P-I-L-O-T. 
Tom, I really want to thank you for coming on with me today. The co-pilot really sounds exciting and certainly seems to have captured the needs and the wants of the pre-hospital community. So thank you again for coming on to describe this exciting product. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. For more information on the Copilot or additional products from Nonin, visit Nonin.com. I'm Mike McCabe. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on another edition of EMS World Podcasts. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.